Uh, back at it. We are back at it. Welcome back to another edition of the Pistols Firing Podcast on a Monday. I'm Carson Cunningham, joined as always by Colby Powell. Colby, did you have a good weekend? Uh, I did. I had a really good weekend. Some good NFL football this weekend. Uh, probably not as good as, honestly, we would have hoped, but pretty good NFL football. And uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to today's show. Today's show is going to be fun. Yeah, I mean, uh, obviously, Bedlam getting canceled on Saturday or postponed, rather, doesn't leave a whole lot to discuss. But I mentioned on a, about a month ago, I wanted to do like season grades for football. So that's what we're going to do today. We're going to grade the position groups, the coaches, kind of hand out some awards as well. So a lot to get to talking OSU football, wrapping up the season. And before you know it, you know, it's spring football be here before we know it. So we want to put a bow on 2020 and get to 2021. But first, let's hear from Chris's University Spirit, your one-stop cowboy shop on Campus Corner. Be sure to shop at chrisuniversityspirit.com. I'm sure they're phasing out the winter gear, phasing in the summer gear. So get over there for uh, all your OSU cowboy shopping needs. We appreciate them sponsoring the pod as always. Before we get into the grades, Colby, I've been uh, arguing, bickering, I'm not sure the word to use here with OSU fans today on, on social media. I think bickering is the right word. And it, it just, it's, let me just kind of lay out what's occurred. So Kevin Na wins a PGA Tour event last night in Hawaii. And literally anyone who covers golf, anytime anyone reaches five career wins, they note they've pulled even with Ricky Fowler in the career wins list because, you know, Ricky, for all the commercials, all the success he's had in his career, the simple fact is he has not won enough. And that spurred a reaction of this, this guy named Gary Wilson, who says, uh, ever wonder why people wonder what school you attended? And I, I've gotten better the older I've gotten, Colby, about not clapping back on Twitter. It's stupid. It's a waste of time, really. But when people challenge, like, my credibility and where I went to school based on a tweet like that, I just, I have to respond. And most OSU fans are great. I mean, I see them out in public. They're, they're great. But there's always been this minor, this vocal minority that thinks the Oklahoman is a conspiracy to, to just pump up OU and hold down OSU. Uh, this, this, it really, frankly, you know, OSU fans hate that moniker little brother when it comes to Oklahoma, but it's kind of a little brother mentality with the media that we don't get enough respect. We don't get enough attention. You only focus on the other brother. And it just wears me out. Like, for instance, this Sean Bishop comes at me and claims that I tweet too much about Baker Mayfield and I tweet with way more reverence about him than <laughs> anyone involving OSU. And so, okay, let, let's just, let's talk about this. Were you around in 2011 on Twitter? When I tweeted about Whedon to Blackman for literally six straight months, every single day, they were breaking records. I was covering almost every OSU game every single week. Nope, no OU fans were like calling me an OSU homer or an alumni, you know, for going overboard. They were having an awesome season while OU was down a little bit. If Mason Rudolph won the Heisman Trophy, was top four in voting three times, which has only been done three times in the history of the sport, and was the number one overall pick in the NFL draft, do you really think I would tweet less about Mason with less reverence than Baker Mayfield? Like that delusional, woe is me, little brother mentality, we don't get enough respect, wears me slick. So I had to respond to it today. 
Yeah, it's I've been reading it since last night when it started with your Ricky tweet because everybody knows I'm a huge golf nerd. So I was watching the uh, golf yesterday on the computer because we had the, the football on the TV and I watched it. I watched Kevin Na finish. I realized that that was his fifth career tour win. And I realized in that moment, Kevin Na has now equaled Ricky Fowler. And right now, there is no doubt about it. Kevin Na's a better player than Ricky Fowler. He's won four times in his last 55 starts. That's remarkable. That being said, what, why do OSU fans care? Why do OSU fans care that Kevin Na has the same number of tour wins as Ricky Fowler? Why do OSU fans care so much that Baker Mayfield almost won a playoff game? He didn't even win the playoff game. Yet. I just don't know what people get so upset about. I don't know. I don't get that upset about sports. I love sports. It's my life. I, I watch it. I enjoy it. I love it. I just don't get that upset about it. I, I don't live and die on every last little thing that happens, uh, teams I root for and against. So I don't know. I, I think it's weird uh, that people come after you that way. Maybe the reason I don't get those is because I'm too quick to block people. Maybe <laughs> maybe you should be a little quicker on the block button and I should be a little less quick on the block button. Yeah, people like like to celebrate or like – you know, think they won if you block them. So I try not to, but maybe I should. But, and again, if, if you want to hate Baker Mayfield, that's fine. That's what sports is all about. Baker Mayfield's one of the most hateable sports athletes there is. I have no issue with that. But to sit here and act like I just pump him up and hold OSU down is just, you know, and like I also said, like, yeah, I, I, hold, I host an OSU podcast twice a week in my free time because why? I, I've forgotten what school I went to. Like, it's just... And again, 99% of OSU fans are great, but there is this small vocal minority that just, they, they really live up to the little brother moniker. They, they just can't handle the fact that I cover both schools. Like that, that's the other thing, Colby. They don't understand what I do for a living, apparently. Right. That because I, you know, I work for Pistols Firing, it's like almost like I don't, I'm not allowed to do my Channel 5 job either. It's just, I don't know. I, we spent way too much time on this, but for all the OSU fans out there, I love you. If you want to hate Baker Mayfield, that's fine. But I have a job to do. And when Oklahoma is going to the playoff and winning Heisman trophies, I'm going to tweet about it. So if OSU would just get better, I would tweet more about them like I did in 2011. So <laughs> that's all I got to say about that. Let's get to some season grades, Colby. This is going to be a fun show. I want to grade the OSU offense, defense, coaches, and hand out some of our favorite awards throughout the year. But let's start on the offensive side of the football, shall we? Uh, offensive line. Let's start probably one of the roughest units of the an entire season. Offensive line, obviously, it was affected greatly by the defections to begin the year, Colby, but uh, they played terribly to start. But I thought they played pretty well coming down the stretch. What do you think about the offensive line? Yeah, I sat down last night to do my grades, and I thought to myself, you know, I don't just want to hand out a bunch of A's and B's because you lost three conference games in a year in which you shouldn't have lost three conference games. You gave a couple away, and so I had to decide what units – am I going to give lower grades to? And I had to give a lower one to the offensive line because I do think that they started to play better late in the season. But at that point, I think that the damage was done. They did have injuries, uh, which created a bit of a problem. But the fact that it's one thing after another at that position for Oklahoma State caused, caused me to give them a D for their season performance. I just – it seems to be a problem year after year, and until it gets fixed, uh, I don't think I can give much better than that. No, I think that's fair. Uh, I'm going to go similar. I, I, I'm with you. I, I understand the injury situations. I understand there were four, five, six weeks where they didn't practice with the same five guys and have any continuity. I understand all those things. But to me, this was a bit of a culmination of 
the lack of stability on Mike Gundy's staff at the offensive line. I think this is the, the fourth coach in six years they've had on the offensive line. And so I think the grade reflects what it's become. It used to be one of the best in the country, certainly one of the best in the Big 12. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go D minus as well, just above an F, because I, I did think they played good enough at the end of the year. They still couldn't run the ball against Miami, which I thought was shocking considering Miami gave up 500 rushing yards to North Carolina, who obviously is a, a better team than OSU, but, but still. I didn't think they, they really gave the offense much of a chance to start the year. Played better down the stretch, and there were other issues down the stretch, but I, I can't give them anything higher than a, than a D. D Just minus. real quick, since since I gave him a D and you gave him a D minus, does that make you an OSU hater and me an OSU homer? Is that I how think, that works? I think so. I think Fair so. I, I think that makes me a, a closet Sooner fan. Uh, <laughs> let's go to uh, wide receivers. Obviously, Tylen Wallace, the headliner. Uh, the fact he came back this year uh, surprised me, uh, not only for this season, but also for the bowl game as well for a half. But um, how would you rank the uh, wide receiving core this year yeah i'm giving the wide receivers a b minus and that is just because this is receivers which is plural if it were wide receiver and we were talking about tylen wallace it would be an a plus but for the bulk of the season i would say really until i mean probably the baylor game and then baylor and bowl game were different stories but i'd say the first nine games of the year it was just tylen that was it and we kept waiting. We're like, man, where's Stoner? And then he finally breaks out in the Baylor game whenever Baylor's whole team's at home with COVID. And then Brendan Presley and Tay Martin finally make an appearance in the bowl game. And I don't know that it was necessarily the receiver's fault that they weren't used as much, especially guys like Presley and Martin, who we didn't see throughout the year. But there just was never a second guy in the games that mattered. There wasn't a second guy against OU and against TCU and against Texas and in some of these games where you really needed that guy to emerge. So even though Tylen was great, I think the rest of the core was very average for about 90% of the year. So I'm going to go with B minus for the receivers. Yeah, this is a tough one for me because I think the receivers, when given opportunities, produced. Dylan Stoner, chief among them. And again, Dylan Stoner finishes his last year with 42 catches. Now, there weren't just a ton to go around. And I think a lot of that has to do with Spencer Sanders locking on Tylen Wallace too much, which we've discussed a lot on here. But Dylan Stoner had 13 catches his final three games. And, you know, a lot of that was that big game he had against Baylor. But I don't know. I feel like he was underutilized. I feel like Landon Wolf should have been on the field more than, than the Cowboy backs. He was underutilized, and he's transferring as a result. Braden Johnson, who you were really high on coming into the year, and I was too, he, he was supposedly going to be this deep threat. He only ends the year on with 20 catches. So the production is not there, but I think the talent was there. So who's – that's where I struggle with this grade. So I'm going to go, I'm going to go B minus just because of the lack of involvement from all these talented guys, especially who you mentioned, Brennan Presley, like what he did in the bowl game was unbelievable. How was this guy not on the field? So I, I think this, this grade to me falls not solely on the coaching staff, but mostly because I, I think the receiving core was capable of an A grade this year, but they weren't given the opportunity. So I'm going to go, I'm going to go B minus. Uh, yeah, we're lockstep on that one. Nice. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you on that one. I think we, we agree. All right. Cowboy backs. Jelani. It's my last time to talk about Jelani Woods. Uh, again, I, I think this position group is good. I think Jelani Woods is a good football player. I think Logan Carter. Like Logan Carter isn't asked to do a whole lot, but when he is, he doesn't he doesn't mess it up. I mean, he, he catches the ball and he, he usually gets a first down or at least gets positive yardage and 
I'm sure they're good blockers. I don't, I don't sit here and grade the, the blocking film, but uh, I'm going to go, I'll, I'll let you give your grade first. What do you think about the Cowboy backs? Cowboy backs. I went with a C on this one. Hey, C for Cowboy backs. And it, it, again, it's so hard to grade some of these positions because I thought a big part of what the Cowboy backs had to do this year was to help the offensive line. And then what happens? Oklahoma State gets logged down into this phone booth playing 12 personnel all the time. And that's when Oklahoma State's offense is at its weakest, I think. So I just think that they weren't used that well this year. Jelani was underutilized. Logan Carter, he had a touchdown catch earlier in the year, and then we barely saw him the rest of the season. So I think that those guys need to be used more in the passing game, uh, especially, you know, get some 10 personnel out there, spread out defenses a little bit more. I think that's when the offense is at its best. But based on what we saw this year, those guys were mostly utilized to help the offensive line in what I call the phone booth offense. And there were very few catches from that position. So I was forced to go with a C. Yeah. I love the, the phone booth. Uh, it's the, it's the perfect way to describe it. And if I had told you before the season, Colby, that Jelani Woods would have eight catches on the year and Logan Carter would have eight catches on the year, what would you have said? Uh, I would have thought for sure Jelani got injured. I would have yep. thought for sure he got hurt or there's no way he'd only have eight catches in 10 games. Yep, I'm with you. And again, I think you're right. I think they were out there to help the offensive line. And I, I understand that concern, but they really didn't when they were out there. They were not able to run the ball more effectively. It didn't work. So I'm going to go C minus for me for my grades. They were not involved. It really could have gone lower here. Uh, not involved, didn't really spring the running game too much. And Jelani Woods is transferring as a result. Again, another another defection due to lack of usage, Landon Wolf uh, as well. So I disappointing year for me with the Cowboy backs. And again, I hope moving forward in the spring, they, they really open it back up to what we saw in Miami, uh, in the Miami game. And certainly what we saw in the Baylor game in terms of four wide receiver sets, spread the field, get Spencer back in that comfort zone. He clearly showed in the, in the more spread concepts than he did with the uh, the Cowboy backs out there. All right, running backs. This is an interesting one. Obviously, Chuba Hubbard coming in with all the fanfare. Should have won the Doak Walker Award last year. Gets banged up. The offensive line was banged up, which we mentioned. It was not effective. And at times this year, L.D. Brown ran harder, more decisive. Uh, Dominic Richardson and... Um, Desmond Jackson came on at the end of the year. How would you grade the uh, the running backs this season? Yeah, the running backs, um, I'm going to give the running backs a B plus. I think Chuba had moments. He wasn't the Chuba of, of last year. I don't know if that – I think it was partially due to health. I think partially there were just a lot of other things going on, and part of it was the offensive line. He didn't have holes, particularly early in the season, to run through. But I think the emergence of L.D. Brown, especially Desmond Jackson late in the season, and then maybe to a lesser extent Dominic Richardson looking forward to the future, I, I think that there's a lot of optimism at that position, which is not something I thought we were going to have when this season was over because I thought that there were going to be huge shoes to fill when Chuba left. And I still think that to an extent there are, but I'm comfortable and confident that there are guys to fill those shoes. So I'm giving the running backs a B plus for the season. That's certainly fair. And I don't know how you feel about it. Don't you think they should throw to the running backs more? I mean, let's see here. Who was the leading? Desmond Jackson had five catches. LD Brown had six. Chuba had eight. That And Dominic Richardson had one. I don't know. I, I feel like they don't throw to the running backs at all, hardly. I mean, those numbers certainly spell that out. So I, 
I think they could they could have utilized that more. Certainly take some pressure off off Spencer Sanders making more reads, is dumping it off to the the running backs. But I'm with you. I think entering the season, the huge concern was what if Chuba gets hurt? The running game will not be existent because last year when he would go out, LD Brown simply was not effective. And then LD Brown became a different player this year. I mean, he was sensational in that West Virginia game. He was uh, really the better running back than Chuba Hubbard for a large stretch of the year. And, and I loved what I saw from Dominic Richardson. That was a great get. I know it, the way TCU handled that was poor, but the fact he ends up in state is, is a great deal for him and a great deal for OSU. So I think he's going to be a big time football player. And Desmond Jackson surprised us all. So there was far more depth than I thought. And they were pretty effective given all the issues on the offensive line. So I, I, I'm going to give them a solid B because it didn't just jump off the charts and they, they weren't that effective running the football this year. Some of that's not their fault, but I'm just going to go with a solid B because it, it was a solid, not spectacular season from the running backs. Yeah, I think that's pretty, uh, pretty spot on. So uh, quarterback, obviously Spencer Sanders uh, gets banged up to start the year. Again, it's marred his entire career injuries. Shane Ellingworth spells him. Uh, do I need to bring up, uh, what was his name? Ethan Bullock uh, played in the Tulsa game very sparingly. But uh, what, how would you grade the quarterback position this year? This is a tricky one with, with Spencer's issues and Ellingworth's issues. Yeah, it's a really tricky one. I kind of leaned mostly on Spencer whenever I was doing my grading just because he did play the majority of the games and he played the majority of the meaningful games. You know, Illingworth had the, the great game against Kansas and led the comeback against Oklahoma State, but I, or against Tulsa, pardon me. Uh, but I primarily focused on Spencer Sanders. And I decided to hand out a C for, for Spencer and for the quarterback position at Oklahoma State. I, I really thought that there were some great moments throughout the year and you can tell that you know both guys Spencer and Ellingworth have a ton of talent but there were too many mistakes and you know even though I, I blame the head coach for the loss against Texas Spencer turned the ball over a few times against Texas he, he was careless with the football in that game uh, I don't blame the quarterbacks at all for OU but what about TCU I mean the TCU game got really sloppy really ugly down the stretch the offensive line was struggling to get first downs and you know the quarterback what are the, what's the old adage the quarterback always gets too much credit and too much blame yeah. uh, and I think that you know that's that's true here as well so I'm handing out a C to the quarterbacks. Yeah, I like that one as well. I'm going to go C minus just because of the turnovers. And I'm grading mostly Spencer, obviously, when I say that. I mean, he's played in 20 career games, has 19 interceptions. And we can talk about scheme. We can talk about the OSU offensive struggles, the offensive line. All that's fine. But as the quarterback, your number one responsibility is to not turn the ball over. And that's that's really plagued him throughout his career. When he's healthy and playing, he's been a turnover machine. And I think that, that obviously cost them in some big games this year. And I just think that Spencer has to evolve. And again, I think a lot of this has to do with having three different coordinators and three different quarterback coaches in his career. That, that, that type of stuff matters. It really does. But I also don't think he was utilized properly, which I mentioned with the spread offense, but even more so with the run game, the QB option, the QB run pass RPO option. I mean, I, that to me should be an absolute staple of this offense. And they should give him more running opportunities like we saw with like a Kyler Murray at OU where he can take it around the end and then just slide and get down. And I think that's that's also something Spencer needs to work on too is getting down because he gets banged up so bad. That first game against Tulsa, he doesn't slide and he gets hit around the knee and, and ankle and boom, he's, he's out for three or four games. So I think the, the underutilization of his skill set with the running ability really hurts my grade. So I'm, I'm going to go C minus because of the turnovers. 
And, and also too, I think a, a major criticism for Spencer that doesn't get talked about enough is he hangs onto the ball too long. I think a lot of the sacks that they gave up this year were him locking onto Tylen and waiting and waiting and waiting, especially that Texas game. Those, those strip sacks were, were cases where he's had the ball for four or five, six seconds. You got to get rid of it at that point, especially with Joseph Asai breathing down your neck. So I may be a little harsh, but I think, I think Spencer has potential. I loved what I saw from him coming down the stretch. And I, I think he can be a, an all big 12 quarterback. I really do. I think he has the talent if he's utilized properly and cuts down on the interceptions. But for now, I'm going with C minus. So that'll do it for the offensive grades, Colby. How about defensive line? What do you got for D-line? Yeah, let's switch over to the defense. This is where we start to hand out some good grades for the defensive line. Yeah, we were kind of negative there, but hey, we had to. I mean, the, the defense really, it was a weird year. It was bizarro world in 2020 where the offense uh, got carried by the defense for a full season at Oklahoma State. Uh, for the defensive line starting up front, I went ahead and went with an A-. minus. For the defensive line I think that they were pretty much great for most of the year uh, I think we saw times where they struggle again it's it's so hard to grade just on the OU game but you know on the OU game they really struggled to get pressure on Spencer Rattler uh, he was barely touched the entire night Ramondre Stevenson they held him in check for three quarters and then he got loose in the fourth the game was pretty much over by that point though uh, but I think aside from that they pretty much had a, a great year um, you know Tech ran it on them a little bit Texas ran them on it ran it on them a little bit those are some of the better offenses in the conference. But I think all in all, really solid year up front on the D-line. And there's, you know, just a lot of guys on that line that you don't hear their names very often, but they just make plays for 60 minutes. So A-minus for me on the defensive line. Love it. And I think the number one option here, the number one example to show how good the defensive line played for me this year is the Oklahoma game. And that sounds weird to say because the OU just goes right down the field their first two possessions. But – the number one challenge for them entering that game was slowing down Ramondre Stevenson, who was running for over 100 yards on everybody. And until late in the fourth quarter, Ramondre Stevenson had like 40 or 50 yards till he busted a couple long ones at the very end when the game was virtually out of reach. The fact they were able to slow him down <clears throat> to me shows how, how good this defensive line is. And I keep saying it, Joe Bob Clements has recruited talent that, you know, they're not household names. Guys like Tyler Lacey, Guys like Cameron Murray, Israel Antwine, even a guy like Tyron Irby just looks the part of defensive linemen that we didn't see early on in Mike Gundy's tenure at OSU. They just, they look good coming off the bus and they look like, you know, they look the part. And I think they played the part too. Cameron Murray had a great year. Tyler Lacey, I think is probably one of the most unsung players on the entire team at defensive end. He, he had a great year. So I'm going, I'm going A plus. I, look, they don't have like the, the stats of like an Emmanuel Ogba coming off the edge on defensive line, getting all the sack totals and all that. But just look at that game against Ramondre Stevenson. They really slowed him down, gave their team every opportunity to stay in that game because the defensive line was able to slow him down. Obviously they had help from the linebackers as well, but I think Joe Bob Clements is doing a great job with this unit. He's recruiting well. And uh, I thought they were outstanding. So I'm going to go a plus. That's probably, that's probably the grade they deserve. Uh, let's go to linebackers. I mentioned them uh, linebackers probably, Maybe the strength of the entire team, if you want to go player for player, Colby. But what do you think about the linebackers? Yeah, linebackers, I gave just a solid A for the season. Again, the defense was great, really carried the offense, which is so unusual at Oklahoma State. But it was a great year for the defense and the linebackers, Malcolm Rodriguez, Amen Ogbong Bamiga, especially. Those guys were unbelievable. Are, are we counting um, Calvin Bundage as a linebacker? What are we counting Calvin Bundage as? Yeah, he's not a defensive lineman, so I'll, I'll, he's a stand up 
uh, linebacker, edge rusher. Okay. Is that what he's – yeah, he's listed as a linebacker. Kind of like the Nick, a Nick Benito, you know, edge rusher that plays linebacker. Right. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, maybe with Calvin Bundage listed, maybe I could even go A-plus here. But uh, I'll stick with my A whenever I work these out last night in my head. Uh, good unit. And, you know, a guy like Ahmed Ogbong-Bamiga, that's – that's not a guy that I feel like is going to go down in like Oklahoma state lore, Oklahoma state history or anything is like this, this loved guy and everything that we remember forever. But man, he was so good while he was at Oklahoma state. He was so, so good uh, for that defense and made so many big plays in big moments. Uh, so just a good solid a for me for the linebackers. Yep. I love it. Uh, the two leading tacklers, Malcolm Rodriguez and Eamon Ogbong Bamiga to your point there. And, and again, I think I think Rodriguez is very similar to what you mentioned about Eamon Ogbongamiga. He's not going to be this all Big 12, first team, all-American player we remember as the years go on, but really, really, really good football players. Malcolm Rodriguez, to me, is the best tackler I think I've seen in terms of open space, open field, getting the guy to the ground. I think he's that good at, at, at tackling. The guy never misses tackles. He always finds ways to get guys to the ground. In the Big 12, we see that a lot where guys just – they'll go for the strip. They, they, they miss tackles all the time. Not Malcolm Rodriguez. And, and I'm with you. I think Eamon Ogbong-Bamiga to me is the heart and soul of the defense. Him maybe alongside Colby Harbell-Peel. But he really evolved into a legit first – in my opinion, first team all Big 12 caliber linebacker. And he had a great year. He's obviously going to the NFL, rightfully so. But – I don't know why Calvin Bundage doesn't play more, Colby. He, he basically turned into just a gadget third down pass rusher. You know, I'm not at practice. Maybe he really struggled being in coverage and, you know, the every down stuff. But he was kind of like a, a Trace Ford, who I, I guess we didn't mention with defensive line. I, I kind of view Trace Ford almost as a linebacker. He stands up a lot. But I guess he would, he would go into the defensive line category. We didn't really mention him. But I don't know why – Calvin Bundage didn't play more. What What's your theory? I know he was banged up some last year, but I think as Bundage moves on from OSU, I think I'm always going to wonder why he didn't play as much as he probably should. Yeah, I think I probably will too. It, you know, maybe he was just on a snap count because of the injury stuff that he dealt with last year. But I mean, you look on the season, he was what, probably 15th on the team in tackles with 19 total tackles, but he was set or he led the team with seven sacks on the year. It, it just seems like, he would sit on the sidelines, sit on the sidelines, sit on the sidelines, third down, boom. There goes Calvin Bundage, and he gets a sack. So I don't know why he wasn't used more than in early downs. I think it had to have either been because of a snap count due to some of the injury pass and some of the troubles there, or the fact that you just had so many guys that you had to get on the field. It just made more sense to have him out there for passing downs and have some other guys out there um, for downs that, that could be more considered running downs. So um, I don't know. I can't make complete sense of it, but that would be my guess. Yeah, I just – I always kind of thought he was one of the best players on the defense. I mean, when he was out there, he was making stuff happen. I just kind of thought he should be out there more, but alas. And a guy I didn't mention earlier on the defensive line, Brock Martin had a really good year. I think he obviously held up on an every down situation against the run better than Trace Ford. So he really dipped into a lot of Trace Ford's uh, um, snap counts. And I think Brock Martin deserves some some love too on the defensive line. I wanted to mention that. But for linebackers, I'm going to go A-plus, Colby. I think real strength of this entire team, let alone, let alone the defense. I, I loved what I saw out of the, the linebacker core. And, and again, this is where Mike Gundy can say, look, my recruiting works. I mean, Eamon Ogbong-Bamiga and, and Malcolm Rodriguez were not, you know, top 100 kids, but they turned into all big 12 caliber players. So a lot of credit to their, their talent evaluation with those two guys. 
Uh, secondary, uh, obviously safety is strength, corner is strength as well. How do you grade the defensive backs? Yeah, this is the first of three A pluses that I'm handing out today for grades. So this is the first <laughs> one. I, I really think that this could be the best secondary uh, whenever we're talking about all position, safety corner, top to bottom, that Oklahoma State's ever had. When you look at Colby Harvey Peel and Trey Sterling, those guys were absolute anchors on the back end. Rodarius Williams was a monster uh, at corner. And Christian Holmes was really good as a grad transfer. I think that, you know, he had an important role to play opposite Rodarius Williams, especially after this team had lost A.J. Green from a couple years ago. And, he, you know, you said the linebackers are the anchor of the defense. I thought the secondary was the anchor of the defense. I think that neither one of those is a wrong answer. Both of those position groups were so good. I just think that when this unit was healthy, when Rodarius, Trey Sterling, Colby Harvell, Peel, and Christian Holmes were all out there together and they were all healthy this defense was really hard to throw on. And even the passes that were completed, they were contested and they were difficult for guys to get separation uh, and to have anywhere to go in the secondary. So uh, that's my first A plus is given out to the Oklahoma State secondary. I don't think you're wrong. And again, I, I think safety right there with linebacker in terms of strength, the entire team, Trey Sterling, Colby Harvell Peel went healthy. I think, I think, I think Sterling was pretty banged up at the end of the year as well. Colby Harvell Peel missed a game with an injury and probably wasn't full speed most of the year as well. But those two guys to me are one of the best safety tandems in the country, let alone the Big 12. They, they were sensational. And the evolution of Rodarius Williams just not only elevated his NFL status, it elevated the entire defense because Jim Knowles has talked about it. When Rodarius is on the field, it changed everything because he would just shut down one side of the field. And so you combine that with the safeties. Obviously, the other corner position, Christian Holmes had some hit or miss plays. He, he gave up some plays. But, man, overall, this secondary was, was awesome. I got to go. I've given out too many A-pluses. I'm just going to go with a solid A, because they did give up some big plays late in the season. But I, I'm not here for that when, when, when they lost to TCU and they forced five turnovers. And Gundy sits there and says they gave up too many big plays on defense. Like, they were on the field so much this year because the offense could sustain nothing. So I, I give them a pass for some of those big plays they gave up late in the year. Um, so I, I'm going with a solid A. I think the secondary was outstanding. And again, the defense, oh, it's they're right there to me. 2013 defense led the Big 12. This defense was, was really good, gave up some stuff late in the year. I don't think they're quite as good as the 2013 defense, but make no mistake, one of the best defenses Mike Gundy's ever had, and, and they certainly – they certainly carried the team, considering this is one of the worst offenses Gundy's had, point blank. That's that's a simple fact. So let's go to special teams. How about kicker? Poor Alex Hale. I keep thinking oh. of that, that video in Bedlam where he, he planted and looked like he blew out his knee, never to be seen from again. What do you what'd you make of the kicking situation? Yeah, I hated that for Alex Hale. He was having a great year, and I, I even put here – you know, when I'm grading the kicker, I'm just going to grade Alex Hale for what he was before he got hurt because it's really tough to throw a backup kicker in at the end of the season and really expect a lot from that guy. But Alex Hale was an A+. plus. He was so good. I think that it's hard to even remember all the way back to the Tulsa game, but I was looking at the box score last night and the scoring plays in that game. And without Alex Hale having a pretty remarkable game kicking the ball, three for three on field goals in a game that Oklahoma State really needed them, 
could get a little dicey. You look at the Iowa State game, Oklahoma State up by seven points late, and you've got a chance to extend it to 10 to basically put the game out of reach. And what does Alex Hale do? He steps up. He knocks it right down the middle. He, he was just nails for the, what, six or seven games that he got to play this season for Oklahoma State. So completely without a doubt, A-plus for Alex Hale. Yeah, he was awesome. I mean, we knew nothing about him coming into the year. And, you know, coming from Australia, the, the all Aussie, you know, kicking unit. But, man, he – he I think Alex Hale really gave them opportunities early in the season. It really was a big reason they won games early in the season. He had to make all the kicks he made or OSU loses some of those games early in the season. He was clutch. And I think he was having a – maybe not a Lou Groza type season, but a first-team All-Big 12 type season before he got hurt. He was having a great year. I mean – Gabe Burkich from Oklahoma ends up winning it. He missed some kicks down the stretch. Alex Hale was nails. And again, a really good recruiting evaluation by OSU to find this kicker from Australia who hit some clutch kicks throughout the year. And I think losing him just wreaked havoc too because Gundy still was settling for field goals late in the year with their backup who, who was really <laughs> poor kid was, was trying his best, but could not make a kick. And uh, so I, I could not have been more impressed with Alex Hale. I'm going to give him an A. I, I can get an A plus because he got hurt and didn't, wasn't able to finish the year, which is not his fault necessarily. But I'm going with a solid A, and I think he's a, a bright spot looking ahead to next year. You don't have to worry. You know, so many teams around the country, Colby, worry about kicker. And as long as Hale comes back healthy, I don't think OSU is going to have to do that. So I'm going to go with a, a solid A. How about yeah, punter? I hope he comes back healthy, by the way. For kicker and what looked like a knee injury – that could be a little dicey. So fingers crossed he comes back 100%. Yeah, I think it'll probably be more mental with him because it was his plant leg. You know, he's going to, he might think about that, you know, every time he's trying to, you know, plant for a kick. But uh, I'm sure he'll come back. I mean, ACLs are, are a lot quicker recovery than they used to be. So I'm looking forward to seeing him next year. What do you make of Punter? Tom Hutton's a divisive character. What do you think about him? Yeah, this is literally what I put last night. So last night I was doing my grades and I basically wrote punter, the grade, and then I put something in parentheses as like a uh, kind of an explanation for myself as to why I came up with that grade. And I wrote punter, <laughs> B. And in parentheses I put, don't recall it being remarkable or disappointing. <laughs> Isn't that what you want from a punter? I guess so, yeah. Like I, I was – I don't think I've ever – this is hard to phrase – I don't think I've ever been impressed by Tom Hutton. I feel like I've mostly been disappointed. Um, I just feel like there's been so many chances for him to pin them like deep, the opposing team inside the five to 10 yard line. And it, it usually lands about the 11 and the guy fair catches it, which is fine. He did his job. He got him inside the 20. I don't know. I, I feel like his, he needs to work on his coffin corner punting because, you know, Gundy likes to punt. Uh, close to midfield and I just I never get the sense that he's a threat to pin teams really deep and that that to me is what he's asked to do the most uh, he doesn't really boom it either uh, I would like to see him you know I don't recall ever seeing the return man have to backpedal either and he just kind of has a wonky punting deal so I, I'm, I'm with you I'm going to go B just because it was solid not spectacular and not a disaster so I think that's that's a fair grade but uh, I would like to see him pin teams deep a little more wouldn't you yeah, I think that that's fair. It's just, you know, like you said, Tom Hutton came over and whenever, you know, he was billed as this Australian guy coming in a little bit older. So I immediately thought, oh, Oklahoma State's getting Michael Dixon. You remember Michael Dixon at Texas. It, dude was a game changer. I mean, Texas was having to punt 14 times a game his last year because their offense was terrible. And he was just bombing 65 yarders like it was nothing. And I think for whatever reason, 
And it's probably my fault. I'm like, hey, Australian guy coming over. He's going to kick 60 yards in the air every time. It's not really fair to assume that just because he's from Australia, uh, he's as good as Michael Dixon, who's now probably one of the top five or ten best punters in the NFL. So maybe my expectations were a little bit too high, but uh, I thought he was definitely disappointing early in his career, and I thought he was just pretty average this year. So uh, that's why I went with a B. Yeah, I'm with you there. How about uh, offensive coordinator? Casey Dunn, his first season as uh, OC. You know, Mike Gundy in that article about Mike Yersich spoke about how he, when he went and hired Mike Yersich, he wanted the OC to be the quarterback's coach as well. He didn't think that OCs would be as successful if they weren't the quarterback coach. And I think we saw we saw some of that this year with Casey Dunn. That kind of was was prophetic by Mike Gundy. I thought the offense we, we know struggled. So uh, it's always tricky grading this with, with Mike Gundy as the head coach, but what do you got? Yeah, this uh, this was fun. Man, all right, so so we're doing Gundy here? No, offensive coordinator. Offensive coordinator, sorry. I'm, uh, I've got some, some contact tracing going on on my phone right now. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, no, we'll figure it out. We'll figure it out. We'll all be good there. Let's go offensive coordinator. Offensive coordinator, this was tough. Casey Dunn's first year, offensive line issues. Who knows what's on him and what's on Gundy? I went C minus for Casey Dunn in his first year as offensive coordinator. And, and a lot of that is not even just the in-game stuff. It's like the plan that they came into the OU game with. I have to think the offensive coordinator plays a part in that. The plan that they came in to the Kansas State game with and the TCU game with playing, you know, again, the phone booth offense. It looked like several games. The offensive game plan was just a big guess. It looked like they were guessing. And when it didn't look like they were guessing, it looked like they were hoping. And, and I don't know that they were hoping teams weren't going to rush the passer. They were hoping teams weren't going to stop the run. I, I don't know what the plan was for, for a good chunk of the year. Uh, he did have to deal with some injuries. So for that reason, I, I didn't want to give him a D because, you know, you do have to be a coordinator around what's available. Uh, and, and with the injuries that they had up front, I think that that was probably a little bit tough. But I've got to give him a C- minus in his first year at OC, because like you said, this is one of the the more inefficient and uh, ineffective offenses that Oklahoma State's had in a while. I think it's right there with Gundy in terms of numbers. Um, I think it's right there with one of his worst seasons in terms of that first season uh, of, of his tenure at OSU. So I, you're more nice than I am. I'm going F. I mean, it, to me, this offense oh. was was terrible. Oh. It was absolutely terrible. And I don't. I'm not here for the excuses I'm not here for that I mean teams were dealing with injuries on their offensive lines I mean probably not as many but you had a veteran quarterback you had Tylen Wallace and you had Chuba Hubbard and you couldn't figure it out and you certainly put your quarterback in positions that he wasn't going to succeed I keep the number one reason for this grade is going into the biggest game of the year against Oklahoma you ran a scheme that really didn't give your team any chance at all. And that is coaching. Like, did they play very well? No, but the schemes they used, Teddy Lehman calling the game for Oklahoma broadcast, called their game plan shocking. He, he couldn't believe OSU was running <laughs> what they were running and, and thinking they had any chance to succeed. That is a complete failure. And I think we saw that in more games than just the Oklahoma game. Obviously there was, there were some bright moments. I think that first half against Texas was awesome. They lit Texas up and they, that showed the potential and they have playmakers. I mean, you saw what Dylan Stoner did at the end of the year. You saw Brennan Presley drawing dust on the, on the bench all year and then doing what he did. Tay Martin 
is a player. I feel like the talent they had was completely underutilized, put in completely the wrong positions to succeed. And that falls on the coaches. Now, is this all Casey Dunn's fault? I don't think so because he's a first year OC. Mike Gunny's been doing this for 16 years. I guarantee we, we heard it on the, the hour time documentary series on ESPN plus Gundy. What did he say? Run the ball and throw it sideways. I, I mean, I think he said that a lot this year when things got dicey. So I, I think I grade Dunn and Gundy together as co-OCs and I, I have to give an F because where was the, like, where was the success? I, I didn't see a whole lot of that. I thought their defense really was the success of the season. So I, I'm maybe harsh on that grade, but I'm, I'm going F. They, they failed the, this, this skill talent that they had at their disposal. No, you made a strong argument. You made such a strong argument. I'm questioning my C minus. I feel like I should have gone lower because your argument is it's very sound. Well, you can go, your grades are your grades. I mean, you, you may, you got thrown a D out there, but we'll, we'll go C minus, but uh, <laughs> let's go uh, to defense. Once again, defensive coordinator, Jim Knowles, what do you got? Defensive coordinator Jim Knowles. I said that I had three A pluses, and this is my last one. I mean, he led the best defense that we've seen in a long time at Oklahoma State. Maybe the best defense we've ever seen at Oklahoma State, certainly early in the season when they were all healthy. This defense 100% healthy. I mean, this defense was leading the nation uh, in third downs for probably 70% of the season. This offense was hard to move the ball on. They were hard to run on. They were hard to throw on. You couldn't pick up third downs. You know, the pass rush was there with Bundage and Ford, Tyler Lacey as well. Uh, you, you know, the linebackers, Malcolm Rodriguez and Amen. We already talked about the secondary. And it just seemed like Jim Knowles this year was the perfect defense for him to do exactly what he wants to do as a defensive coordinator, which is to just be really aggressive and make you uncomfortable as an offense. And I, I thought it was phenomenal from the defense. Um, I'm, I'm really glad that he's sticking around and he didn't take a head coaching job. I didn't think he would, but still glad that he's sticking around. I hope that he's around Stillwater for a long time. And um, shout out to Jim Knowles, because I'll be honest, I didn't love the hire when they made it, but I sure love it now. Do you remember when OSU had the uh, the bend but don't break defense, the, the third and 10 give up 11 defense under Bill Young? Do you remember those days? Oh, I remember those days. Well, it wasn't this... that long ago. It wasn't that long ago. <laughs> this year, Oklahoma State was number one in the country in third down conversion percentage defense. They got off the field on third down better than any team in the entire country. Yeah. So again, I'm I'm grading, I grade the OSU offense on a scale of what OSU's offense is supposed to be. So that that's why my grade was a little harsh. My grade for the defense is A plus. And Jim Knowles gets an A-plus as defensive coordinator. Were they the steel curtain? No. Were they awesome and gave their team a chance to win every single game they played? Yes. And the number one job for a defense is to get off the field. And they did that better than any team in the entire country. I'm with you. When they hired him from Duke, I was sitting here going, why are we hiring a kid, a guy from Duke again? They, you know, That's where Glenn Spencer came from. You know, Duke is not just this coaching football factory like in Alabama but the guy has done an unbelievable job with OSU's defense I think it's one of the best hires Mike Gundy's made that includes all the offensive coordinator hires and I'm excited to see what he can do now that he's gonna you know he's been there he's got some tenure now and he's gonna start his his players that he personally recruits are gonna start coming into the fold I'm encouraged to see what type of players and schemes he he likes to evolve as he gets his recruiting classes in and 
I can't go any lower than A plus. I mean, no stone was left unturned from Jim Knowles, and I'm I'm really excited to see where he takes his defense next year. Glad he didn't leave as well. So, I guess you agree with that. Let's go to head coach Mike Gundy. <laughs> what do you got? Yes, this is what I've been waiting to get to. So, I couldn't give him an F. I couldn't do it because they still went eight and three. Now, I I do kind of tend to think that they took ten win talent and turned it into eight wins, but I couldn't give him an F because they still won nearly three times as many games as they lost. But I gave Mike Gundy a D, and, and what I wrote next to it was game management disaster, still terrified of OU, coach scared the entire season. And I think that, <laughs> that pretty much sums it up. Stop punting from your opponent's 39-yard line. He did it against OU. He did it against TCU. Both times in the fourth quarter, he punted from the opponent's 39-yard line. Why did he go brain dead in the middle of the fourth quarter against Texas and rush the punter with a lead and a defense that's playing well? The only way Texas could score is if you turned the ball over, and then you give him a free possession by doing that. I, I just thought the game management uh, was terrible. The game plan against Bedlam, Gundy even came out and took took the blame for the game plan. and. You know, shout out to him for taking the blame whenever something goes wrong. But how do you have two weeks off and you go into the Bedlam game with the worst game plan I have ever seen? So all, all that being said, I couldn't give him an F because they did win eight games. But I can't I can't go any higher than a D because I thought most of the season we were left shaking our heads at some of the things we were watching. You summed it up very well. And I'm not going to go F. I know people might be surprised to hear that. I'm not going to go F. I thought Mike Gundy, with all the offseason turmoil that happened, and I, I frankly think he thought he was getting fired at one point uh, when the, the Chuba Hubbard stuff was blowing up and the OAN stuff. I thought he was really reinvigorated this season to begin the year. I thought he was coaching his tail off to start the year. The way he was able to manage the, the season early on, losing Spencer after the first, really the first drive, was, was really good. I thought he was really coaching up the team. I think he was more invested, more engaged with his team. So I liked a lot of what I saw. It just, as the season progressed, he fell into all those same habits that you just mentioned in terms of coaching scared, punting on the opposing side of the field. I mean, Colby, look, you know, we, we've been the anti-punting show all year. And I thought watching the NFL this weekend and last weekend as well, really summed up why we're anti-punt. I mean, the, the punting decisions from from Mike Tomlin and Mike Vrabel, and even yesterday the Browns punting with when they have the chance to go win the game, is inexcusable. And you're never going to beat Oklahoma or Texas unless you take some risks in terms of trying to get a first down and put the ball in your take the ball in your own hands and go win the game. And so. I don't know why he coaches that way. I, I don't understand it. I've never understood it. But man, he cuts it loose in the bowl game. Just watching the bowl game, it just makes you think, why don't you just coach like that throughout the season? It, it really, it, it's mind boggling. It makes no sense. So I, I understand the issues with the offensive line, new offensive coordinator. Those are real issues. I get that. But this team that they had coming back underachieved and that ultimately falls on the head coach. So I'm going to go D. I, I, thought, I thought they underachieved. They lost to some teams they had no business losing to. Uh, that Texas game, I'm going to get to in a second in terms of one of his decisions, but I, I got to go D. I can't go any higher than that. Yeah, I think we're on the same page. We both uh, went D for don't punt once you cross the opponent's 40. <laughs> Please don't do that anymore for the sake of this podcast. Please. Uh, MVPs, who you got on offense and defense for the season? Offensive MVP, Tylen Wallace. They're just a different team. 
with and without him. He, you know, Spencer was so reliant on him. Uh, and we saw him unleash it a little bit in the bowl game, but that's not indicative of what it had been prior to, to the bowl game. And, and the bowl game, again, it's an exhibition. They tend to cut it loose there. During the season, I mean, when Tylen wasn't on the field, it, it just – it was a real, real struggle. Look at the Kansas State game. That was just tough, tough, tough. So, Tylen, you could always count on him. You knew what you were getting every single Saturday. Plays hard, makes contested catches, can run every route, loves to block. Look what he did to the Iowa State kid uh, <laughs> earlier this year, the same kid that he stiff-armed off of him last year. So, for offensive MVP, I've got to go with Tylen. And then on the flip side of the ball, the uh, defensive MVP for me is Rodarius Williams. Rodarius Williams – being able to be on an island for an entire season by himself allowed Jim Knowles to do everything Jim Knowles wanted to do. Rodarius Williams went from a guy who I legitimately think would have been undrafted had he come out last year. And now he's a guy who's probably going to go in the second or third round of the NFL draft. Just nobody threw at him all year. You, you go look at his stats. He had zero interceptions on the season. You know why he had zero interceptions? Because rarely would the ball ever be thrown to him. They just didn't go his way. So, uh, Tylen for me on offense, Rodarius on defense. I think he was pretty far up there in, in passes defended too, though. So, that, that shows you that he was all yeah. over the guy and was able to knock the ball down, even though he didn't have the interceptions. But you're right. He, he saw so few targets because he was so good. And he's going to go down as one of the better corners OSU's had. I mean, especially Absolutely. when the draft comes around. I mean, obviously, Justin Gilbert – probably the best, uh, certainly in the Gundy era. We'd have to go back to maybe a Darrant Williams, I think was sensational and tragically lost his life way too soon. I think we, I think he would have had a really long NFL career and would be the, probably the number one guy. But uh, he, he, Rodarius Williams certainly up there. And I, I'm with you. Offensive MVP has to go to Tywin. You saw the difference when he was out of the game, what this offense was boiled down to without him. And I've said on this show that you can make a legit argument he's the best receiver in school history. Obviously, that's that's a legit argument. And I think Justin Blackman, I don't, I wouldn't make that argument because I think Justin Blackman's one the best receiver in college football history. But in terms of a yards per game output, Tylen was number one or number two. I, I, I don't have the updated number since the bowl game and all that. But you, you factor in the quarterbacks he played with, all the other receivers played with some of the best quarterbacks in school history. He's played with you know, three or four different ones. And uh, just what he was able to do in his career, given those circumstances, is even more remarkable. And I just thought he had a, he had a great year to end his his year. I'm glad he's not seriously injured and, and got out of the bowl game without uh, serious injury as well. But uh, defensive MVP, I think he made a great case for Rodarius. I'm going to go with Eamon Ogbong-Bamiga. I think he was the heart and soul of this defense. I think that game against TCU where he, he forced three fumbles, which is a school record, uh, just kind of sums up just the playmaking ability he had and really just the the consistency. Every single down, he was such a consistent winning football player. And I thought he had a great final season at OSU. He's really going to be missed at the heart and soul of that defense. So I'll just be different. I'll go with I'll go with Eamon Ogbamiga. So he had a he had a great year. Uh, favorite moment slash favorite play this year. Yeah, favorite moment of the year for me came against Kansas State. It was weird. I was actually in Mexico. I was in Cancun for a wedding, and the wedding wrapped up. So as soon as the wedding wrapped up, I got on my phone on the way to the reception, and I turned on the game between Oklahoma State and Kansas State. And it, it legitimately looked like Oklahoma State was going to lose that game. Kansas State was driving. There were less than seven minutes to go. Oklahoma State was leading by merely a point. They were deep into Oklahoma State territory. It was not looking good for Oklahoma State. And then Jason Taylor takes an 85-yard scoop and score to the house, and that single play turned a loss 
into a win. Oklahoma State's offense could not move the ball in that game. So I, you, you can't convince me Oklahoma State would have won that game if that play doesn't happen. So uh, that was an easy one for me. There, there's one singular play that I think made the difference between this team being a seven and an eight win team. That's a good one. I'm going to go kind of off the board here, and many people will probably disagree with me because it came in a loss. But the touchdown run, and it's coming from a player who had a disappointing season, the touchdown run that Chuba Hubbard had against Texas where he put his hand on the ground and reversed field and took yeah. it to the house, that to me – uh, that was the Texas game, wasn't it? Or am I, was it a different game? Yeah, 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 no, I think that was the Texas game. Okay, I, I'm pretty sure it was, but my memory, I'm doubting my own memory here. But at that point in time, that was like what we all thought about Chuba Hubbard, one of the best running backs they've ever had. And at that point in time, it felt like OSU was going to go into the Bedlam game undefeated. It felt like this season that had been building and all the hype was becoming real in that moment. And it was just to me, it's the last great memory of Chuba Hubbard who provided so many throughout his career. That to me, that play was probably the most just jaw-dropping individual play that I saw from an OSU team this year. So not the most significant in terms of the season like, like yours was, but just it reminded you of what Chuba Hubbard can do on a football field. And at that point, everything seemed possible for this OSU football team. So that's, that's my moment. Do you like that one or no? Uh, no, I do like that one a lot. It was, you know, like you said, we didn't see as much of that from Chuba throughout the year, but that was one real bright spot where, you know, you couldn't go a whole season without Chuba doing something that made you go, wow. And that was definitely the play this year that Chuba, Chuba made that made you, made you go, wow. Well, you know what, Colby? That was not the Texas game. <laughs> I, guess not? I, better, I guess I better get it right. It was the okay, Iowa well, State. Yeah. It was the Iowa State game. <clears throat> Was it the Iowa State game? See, and now you're really testing my memory on a Monday. You know, we're we're old. It's Monday, and I haven't had all my 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 second cup of coffee yet. So no, it was the Iowa State game, which the point remains. They were undefeated at that point. It felt like winning that game. They had Texas and OU coming up, and everything seemed possible. So that to me was kind of where the season peaked because it was downhill after that. Least favorite moment slash play this year. Least favorite moment slash play. This one was easy. I can guess yours. Dude, it was so easy, and it, it wasn't even it, – it, it wasn't one of the punts from across the 40. It, it, believe it or not, it was not. Oh, upset for me. I would have picked the, that for yours. The angriest that I have gotten watching a sporting event in the last decade – I'm not exaggerating. My wife would back me up on this – was when Oklahoma State decided to send the house when Texas was punting on like 4th and 24 <laughs> – from midfield in a game in which Texas could not move the ball and you give them a free possession. And keep in mind, at this point in the season, Oklahoma State is still undefeated. Oklahoma State still looks like a world beater and still looks like a team that has a real chance to win the Big 12 Conference. And Oklahoma State decides to send the house. They then proceed to rough the punter, give Texas a free possession. And I, I mean, you know, you're engaged. The uh, my wife likes throw pillows, so we got some throw pillows on the couch. <laughs> I picked a throw pillow up, and I slung it as hard as I could, and it slammed into the blinds by the window, rattled them. So then my wife's upset. My dogs are running into the other room. It was the <laughs> angriest I have gotten watching a sporting event in so long. And I just so immediately I was like, nope, you can't rush the punter there. That's a disastrous decision. What a mistake. Least favorite play of the season uh and it's probably also partially due to the reaction that it elicited from me 
That's mine too. I think it's an easy, easy, easy decision. Yes, because like what you mentioned, like the win expectancy for OSU, if you just run punt safe and return the and just fair catch or just let it go out of bounds, whatever, their win expectancy had to be like 99.9% at that point. And, and with the amount of time left on the clock, the way that Texas was not moving the football, really the only chance for Texas to win the game is by doing what you did. And and again, we're, we're critical of Gundy of not, for not being aggressive when he's punting because we want him to go for it and extend a drive. That does not apply here. <laughs> there is no need for aggression here. The only thing you should do is I don't even run punt safe. I run dime package. Like if I'm playing this on NCAA on a video game, I'm putting all my defensive backs out there and you know maybe three defensive linemen and saying, you know what? If you want to punt it, great, but we're expecting a fake. And I, I couldn't believe that they ran punt block. It cost them that game, no question about it. Were there chances to win after that? Of course there was, but they shouldn't even have been in that position. So th this is an easy, easy call. A coaching decision cost OSU the football game. That goes into my grade for the season um, in terms of head coach. Um, you could argue that this one decision, since it cost them a game, should should lower his grade. But I, I couldn't believe they did that. And it was one of the worst decisions a coach can possibly make. So that's, a, that's an easy call. Uh, last two, uh, Uni Heisman. Who was your Uni Heisman this year? Uni Heisman for the year. I, I thought about it. And, you know, there were individual games. Look, Tay Martin was rocking it in the bowl game. But I can't give the full – I couldn't bring myself to give the full season Uni Heisman to a guy that barely played throughout the year. So, I'm giving it to Trey Sterling. He came out every week. And uh, he, he, he filled out the uniform quite well. So, Trey Sterling, I thought, looked like – looked very intimidating stepping out of the locker room with his uni on. Yep, that's a good one. A uh, good number as well. I like, I like number three for my safeties. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to go Eamon Ogbong-Bamiga. You know, he switched numbers from 11 to 7, which both are, are just cool numbers for a linebacker. But I just have a, such a soft spot, Colby, when players wear the spats on their feet, you know, the tape around the ankles and the shoes. It just – I love that look. And he would rock – when he rocked that look, he was by far the, the, the best dressed on the field. So – Eamon had a great year playing. He also had a great year in the uh, uniform category. And, of course, the uniform Heisman brought to you by Chris's University Spirit, your one-stop cowboy shop on Campus Corner. Be sure to shop at chrisuniversityspirit.com. Last award, Colby. Who was your unsung hero of the season for Oklahoma State? A guy probably we didn't talk enough about that had a solid year and a good year for OSU. I almost feel like we might have the same one picked because you mentioned him earlier when you were talking about the defensive line. I think the unsung hero on this team is Tyler Lacey. Tyler Lacey is a name that you rarely hear throughout the year, but he had the most tackles of anybody on the defensive line. So, you know, 32 tackles for a defensive lineman. He had four sacks on the season, which was only behind Calvin Bundage and Trace Ford on the team. Um, he, he just he had a really good year. He had a forced fumble on the year. So Tyler Lacey, I think, did much more than he gets credit for. He was, he, he was a guy who did a lot of the hard work. And those guys don't always get the same recognition. But Tyler Lacey had a phenomenal year. So he's my unsung hero. He's a great choice. I was going to go that direction. But since you went there, I'm going to go with Cameron Murray, who just declared like for the NFL draft. Another guy that you, know, you just don't you don't hear his name a lot on the broadcast, but really contributed to a really solid defensive line. And I think he's going to be missed. They're going to have to replace Cameron Murray. because I think he had, a, he had a really good year. And, you know, he's a he's a senior. He's ready to move on and, and get on with his career. So I'll, I'll go with Cameron Murray. Didn't hear his name a lot played really well and, and contributed to a really good defense. So 
That'll do it for our grades and our season awards. Colby, do you have one interesting thing before we get out of here? I do have one interesting thing. My one interesting thing is that Montreal Pena is no longer with the Oklahoma State basketball team, which, you know, is really interesting. Comes in as a freshman, uh, pretty highly touted guy, doesn't get playing time early, don't know what the situation was for him no longer being with the team, but he's no longer with the team. And what did that do, Carson? It opened up a scholarship, and that scholarship went to Dean Mitchell, who walked on three years ago, is working at Walmart and Stillwater to put himself through school, is still able to practice. He's able to be there for his team and work and go to school. I, I don't think that people can even really comprehend how difficult it is for him to do all three of those things. And he has done it flawlessly from all accounts, hasn't complained, shows up for work and does his work, shows up for class and does his schoolwork, shows up uh, to practices and to games and does what he needs to do for the team. The video uh, with, with Mike Boynton going into Walmart and awarding him a scholarship and Dean Mitchell's crying and, you know, people from Walmart are crying. And believe it or not, Carson, uh, my mom sent me a screenshot about 15 minutes ago. That story actually was on the Today Show today and they aired a piece of the video with Dean Mitchell and Mike Boynton and it's just it's it's great to see and one thing that I really thought was impactful out of that video was Dean Mitchell there toward the end talking about the love that he has for coach Mike uh he said that's the kind of person that I hope to be someday and that that stuff means something you know winning and losing games that's what it comes down to at the end of the day that's that's how guys keep or lose their jobs but I don't think too many people are arguing about the kind of man that Mike Boynton is. And, and that was just a phenomenal story over the weekend. Yeah, that, that was going to be mine. It was unbelievable. I thought uh, Clark Matthews on Twitter summed it up pretty well too. He's like, this, he's like, these are the, these are the kids that the NCAA is coming after for Lamont Evans getting kickbacks from an agent. Like they, this is who they're trying to penalize guys like D Mitchell, who was working yeah. at Walmart trying to pay his way through college who had nothing to do with that. I mean, they probably never even met Lamont Evans. So shame on the NCAA. They need to drop their case and move on with their lives. And I, I loved that moment. It was so cool. I'm always a sucker for the walk on getting a scholarship, but that oh, one, that one really was, was special. I, I really enjoyed that. And Mike Boynton, such a, such a good dude. So my one interesting thing is going to be about the goat, Tom Brady. Oh, he makes his 14th. This is his 14th title game conference championship game. NFC Championship Games appearance since 1997. Tom Brady has one. Dallas Cowboys have zero. Years in the NFC since 1997. Tom Brady won. Dallas Cowboys 24. (laughs) That just shows you the the level of ineptitude from the Cowboys and just how dominant. You know, I was always a Tom Brady guy when when back when Brady and Manning was actually a discussion. It's not anymore. But when it was, I was always Tom Brady. And I just feel so vindicated that he continues to win doesn't matter like people always wondered was this is this belichick or is this brady well he's he's back in the nfc title game uh with the tampa bay buccaneers so i love tom brady he's back where he belongs and it's going to be tom brady aaron Rodgers at lambeau how good is that that is so good i love tom brady I've, i've loved tom brady for a long time he is the absolute goat I really want a Brady Mahomes Super Bowl, kind of run it back for those Brady Mahomes AFC championship games uh, that we had. One of which I was at, by the way, the game in Kansas City that uh, the Patriots ended up winning in overtime. Just a great experience. Uh, And I would love to see those two meet up again in a Super Bowl. Yep, that'd be fun. Colby, this was fun. Put a bow on the uh, football season. Hopefully Oklahoma State's able to resume their season against Baylor. Obviously the Bedlam got postponed. 
They have to wait all the way until Saturday to hopefully uh, tip off against against Baylor. So we'll look forward to that, and we'll we'll get back with you uh, later in the week. Absolutely. I hope we get some basketball on Saturday. Go Pokes.